You're listening to XVGM Radio. Welcome to XVGM Radio, where the bits keep coming. I'm Justin. And I am Mike. And this is episode 91, Masters of VGM. We are part of a grand scheme of vgm <laughs> I, I like that word, VGM-ony? VGM-ony. It's better I just than made VGM-ony, it because that, yes. that, would, that would be intense. That would be very intense, yes. Uh, we are so grateful to be uh, joined by so many other people of the video game music podcast realm that are doing this Masters of VGM thing. So for those not in the know and you're listening and you're like, what are they talking about? Let's uh, break it down. Our good buddy Bedroth, who is the co-host on VGM VGM podcast, which is very good music, video game music podcast. <laughs> he is doing this thing that he put together with a bunch of other video game music podcasters called Masters of VGM. So I, I feel like the original idea still kind of fits, mm. uh, although we, we've kind of widened it a bit more. But it, the original idea was that it was going to be like the Mount Rushmore of VGM. Right. If you, if you could make your own Mount Rushmore and put four faces up on it or more or less, yeah. uh, you know, who, who would be up there? Like, who are your top VGM composers? Right, and right. And so... We haven't really collaborated, so uh, I believe Ed Wilson at the VG Embassy, obviously mm-hmm. Bedroth, uh, Rhythm Pixels, yep. VGM Journey, a lot of the Test other... Score, I think. Yeah, yeah. A, a ton of video game podcasters, video game music podcasters are doing this. Yeah. 
you can actually get access to all of the podcasts on mastersofvgm.com. So we will be joined by all the other people that are doing this in June 2022. In fact, there's even a disclaimer right here on the website that says, which composers will join the pantheon of legends known as the Masters of VGM in June 2022. Come join your favorite video game music podcast and maybe discover a few new ones. Hint, hint. Eh? Welcome all new people mm-hmm, as we mm-hmm. determine who is fit to stand among these titans. See, that that I think is a little difficult or a little rough because I feel like if you're a, a newer composer, mm. not that you don't belong in the group, but sure. it's it's a, it's a little bit harder to get into the group because a lot of the people that we're, I mean, especially the people that we're going to be talking mm. about, you and I, and I feel like a lot of people that the other podcasters are going to be talking about yeah. are longstanding, really seasoned sure. composers. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that they are better than the, the, some of the new people that are coming in, mm. but there's just so much depth and so much content out there already that i mean i found it hard to pick anybody new again Mm. like i I don't want anyone to think that i don't like any newer composers sure of course we talk about plenty of. we talk about all sorts of new stuff old stuff everything absolutely but But at the same time going back to what you originally said this is kind of like a mount rushmore situation you know like who would be your personal top four on the mount rushmore so that's kind of how we approach this we added in a bonus composer, which was the intro that brought us in. What 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 little ditty was that, Justin? I've never heard that before. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a joke that never gets old. Oh no, never, <laughs> never ever. So that was the Super Mario Brothers Overworld theme from Super Mario Brothers, the 1985 NES game, composed by Lord and Master Koji Kondo. Great, great <laughs> grandpappy of yeah. video game music. Tell me, what are your uh, your fondest memories of Super Mario Brothers? Since I mean, this is everybody knows this song. If you don't know the song, you're like two years old. Like, what? Wh- <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is some of the earliest video game music that that I have ever heard in my life. Uh, I know I've talked on the Justin's Picks episode how a lot of my early memories were of the Intellivision and some of the music that came from there, like Burger mm-hmm. Time and stuff like that. Sure. But uh, I mean, this song was everywhere when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, when, when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, between, you know, just going to a friend's house that had an NES, having an NES at home, going to my cousin's house that, uh, that had an NES in this game, mm-hmm. going to service merchandise or Kmart and having oh the, uh, the, the demo Oh, my merchandise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that takes me back. Takes okay. me way back. Yeah. It was everywhere. Uh, I mean, there were different raps that, that were done on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we listened to a very inappropriate one earlier, but there's also... <laughs> You know, the, the Super yeah. Mario Brothers Super Show, they made a rap. I love that this. song. Yeah. It's so like, good. If if you are in our age group, yeah. it is impossible that you have not heard this song. Because True. even if you didn't play video games much, it, it, it permeated the culture. Mm. Uh, and I, I think that says a lot about Koji Kondo's ability to make a really catch and tune. All of that and a bag of chips yes, for me. Yes. Uh, this, was, this was the first game I ever owned. I got a Nintendo in 1988, thanks to my grandfather, and uh, he theoretically ruined my life. So (laughs) thanks, Grandpa. Yeah. But no, in all seriousness, this was the first game I owned. This was the first song you heard when you turned on Mario. It's iconic. It's as pop culture as Mickey Mouse. Okay. Let's say that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, But sound-wise, like to really actually kind of break it down, I always pictured this as like a reggae song. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, da, 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 I, mean, I didn't know what reggae was when I was a kid. No, uh, but none of I mean, us did. Gr- growing, <laughs> growing up and and understanding more about like how music works and yeah. stuff like that, like yeah, it, it definitely is in that that reggae sphere and reggae I mean, big band. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Koji Kondo has said as much. So sure, it, it, it's not it's not even really up for debate. Yeah, <laughs> him and Hip Tanaka. Yep, both were huge reggae fans and classical music fans, and mm. so that's really. That's really it. I don't know. I just... How could you not have this in an episode? You're talking Masters of EGM. Like, this is the song that followed all other songs. I mean, yes. Was there video game music before the oh, Mario Overworld theme? Sure. The Burger Time theme. Absolutely. That predates the Yep, yep, yep. Pac-Man. Pac-Man, yep, yep. You know? Uh, Plenty of things. T- tons of stuff. But, but this th- is iconic. The impact that Super Mario Brothers had... We would not be here today without Super Mario Brothers. We would not talk about video game music. We would not listen to video game music. I, I truly don't think that this would have had the impact that it had if this did not come out. If if Super Mario Brothers did not exist. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I got nothing else to say about it. <laughs> Let's move on to, uh, I mean, Koji Kondo, really. Do we need to talk about him? We've talked about him almost every episode. I feel like the, one of the things that we probably won't be doing as much in this episode is listing off games that the, that these folks have worked on. Because sure. almost everybody here has, is somebody that we have talked about at length. At length, Just yeah. over the course of this podcast. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a couple people here that we might, uh, we, we might touch on a little bit, mm. but I think more than anything else, what we are going to talk about is just the impact that these composers mm-hmm. and their music has had on us and why, like, why why we've chosen them to be on our, on, on our Mount Rushmore. Yeah, this with, was absolutely just a, this has got to be on there. Yes. Sort of thing. But and, I don't and know. That, and that begs the question. Yeah. Is Koji so we we've each picked this is this episode is theoretically potentially shorter than other episodes because we, yes. we've each only picked four tracks instead of five each right um, because Mount Rushmore has four faces on it right so that begs the question does Koji Kondo make it on that Mount Rushmore or is he like he's above it I, I, that's exactly what I was thinking yeah so he he's he he's part of it but he's not one yeah. of the the main four faces he is just like above and lording hey, over the here, rest. Here, here, I'll, I'll make everybody mad. He's the Barack Obama on top of the M- Mount Rushmore. <laughs> the greatest president. No. <laughs> I just pissed off so many people. <laughs> Anyways. Yes, yes. Yes. Let's move on to your first master of VGM. What do you got? Okay, so uh, no surprise. This is going to be <laughs> Nobuo Uematsu. Yes. So I've chosen a song that is one of my favorites and that has had a lot of impact on me. It's This is Melodies of Life Ooh. from Final Fantasy IX, which came out in the PS1 in 2000. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Masters of VGM here on XVGM Radio. That was Melodies of Life from Final Fantasy IX, the 2000 PS1 game, and it was composed by Nobuo Uematsu, and I should also mention uh, the vocals there are by Imiko Shiratori. Right. Yeah. Good vocals. Great song. Yes. Really good. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's a Japanese ballad. Yes. You know what I mean? But it's just... It's it's beautiful. There's no other word to describe it. If you had described describe this in one word, that would be it, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I mean, you got those like really rocking parts where like it, it kind of woke me up out of nowhere. Oh, that little guitar solo in the middle. Yeah, just because like it's not like it was putting me to sleep in the in the negative sense, but it was so very soothing. Soothing, yeah. right? Yeah, and it just kind of caught me off guard that I was like, oh wait, there's a guitar. So, but I, I kind of now want to play Final Fantasy IX. You should. It's a very fun game. Yeah. So the, the version that we played was the original, the Japanese version. In the English version of the game, there is an English version of the song. Okay. Uh, which is the one that I'm, I don't want to say that I'm more familiar with it because mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy the Japanese version of the song. Sure. And maybe it's just because like I know, not the translation of what they're saying, but mm-hmm. I know the, the English version so well that to hear it in another language is just a different type of beautiful to me. Okay. But the reason I picked Nobuo Uramatsu, I think, is kind of obvious. Like, <laughs> Final Fantasy itself has just had a very large impact on my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of the first video game RPGs that I really played and really grabbed onto. Started um, with two. I started with one. One, right, um, that's on, right. On the NES. Yes. Uh, and then I didn't know there was a two until three came out, and I was like, whoa, they made a sequel? How did they make a sequel to one? Like, <laughs> that game ended pretty solidly, and it wasn't until later that I realized that they are all, like, standalone stories. Wow, the, the, they came up with a second game, and they called it three. That must have, like, blown right past two. Like, two was so good, it never came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, went, I went back and... and found out about two or like as it as it should be known for but you know they they renumbered things in america Uh, and uh, i mean they they were all really good games i mean even now i have one and two on the origins collection for ps2 i have three on the uh on on the the ds that's a rough way to play the uh, no i know i know (laughs) well one one and two on origins on on the uh, on the playstation is not as bad yeah four five and six on the playstation that's rough yeah the menu issues oh Unplayable. Yeah, I, yeah. Can't, I can't. Five and Chrono Trigger, I think, or five and what was it five and six came out on on a collection. I think it's five and six and four and Chrono. I can never remember, but it's four, four, five, six and Chrono Trigger are awful. In some pair yeah. came out as was oh, it so bad. Chronicles and so, I don't they're know, unplayable I, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't want to get too deep into it because that takes. I, I feel like it's going to take away from from. The positive, you know, the positive stuff, and what for we're sure. talking about here, for sure. But yeah, I, I, I've played some of all of them. I have not beaten all of them. Like three, I have my save files right at the end. I just, I haven't beat the beaten the cloud of death, or okay. whatever it is. Five, I, I, I just never got very far in. I, I played it on played em, it on an emulator, emulator long, yeah. long time ago, and yeah. got maybe halfway through the game, and then I tried playing it on the PlayStation when they did the the Chronicles thing, and yeah. it just, like you said, it's it's kind of unplayable. I. Well, five is great. I loved five, but the, the, the menu issues is, is the, the main yeah. Problem. Oh, for, for sure, for, for sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But uh, five, I got pretty far, and I still haven't beaten it though. It's good. I have the <laughs> Wait, GBA you version. Wait, you've it, but it's your favorite Final Fantasy. No, seven's my favorite. Oh, that's right. Seven will forever be my favorite. Yeah, that yeah. was the first Final Fantasy I ever played. Right. So, right. but then I'd probably say five. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that I really sense. like five. 
Yeah, but nine, like nine, holds a special place in my heart for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, I felt like nine was a very good, and a lot of people have said the same thing. But nine was a very good return to form. Like you had seven, right. seven was kind of like cyberpunky and futuristic ish, and and eight was very much like off the reservation. Uh, there was a lot of things that were that were in there. It was a, it was a Final Fantasy, but it just there were so many things just about the mechanics and whatnot that mm. that felt weird. Like for one, the the, the monsters, the world leveled up with you. Like, there was nowhere you could go to grind out easy monsters. Everything was always at your level. They The were, orphanage. I mean, there, there's the orphanage <laughs> thing, um, which they've never done before in a Final Fantasy. Right. Uh, and they've never done since because they heard your your complaints. Yeah. There there wasn't really any... like the, I feel like there was a crystal, but I cannot for the life of me remember what the crystal was. But in every, eight? In eight. Really? Yeah. Every, every Final Fantasy technically has crystals of some sort. Mm. Like, the, in, in Final Fantasy 1, it was the orbs of light that were the, that, that were the crystal. In yes. Final Fantasy 7, it was the materia. Yeah. There was something in, in eight, and I just cannot remember it. In the anime series, it was uh, the... Oh. Oh, yeah. The crystal was in the girl's butt. <laughs> do you remember that? I do. Oh, wow. I remember watching that and being like, "What? What am I watching?" Yeah, <laughs> it was. Very that, that was the one with the, the gun. All like all the summons or all the magic was done through like the gun. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh boy. But yeah, I mean, so nine like brought back the crystal. It was a major central part of the story. Yeah. Um, they brought back a lot of the the, the like classic job classes and stuff. Uh, so I just I really enjoyed it for that. And it was the first. I don't know if it was the first video game that I bought with my own money, but it was definitely the first Final Fantasy that I bought with my own money. Interesting. Um, like I had a job, I had saved up for it, I'd pre-ordered it, and mm. I was super excited. It was two thousand, so you were like sixteen. Yeah. Just going on seventeen. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So. That makes sense. That checks out. Yeah. Yeah. This song is like the last song in the game. This is, you've beaten the game Mm -hmm. and it is, I I cried. Time to weep. It it absolutely is. For sure. Every time I hear the song, that's exactly what it does to me. It's emotional. It it, it gets, I get very emotional and it's just, it's it's a beautiful song and there's so much about it and about the game Mm. and just even even the lyrics. It's very much a song about like, hey, I'm either dead or probably going to die and you and the world need to move on and like hear a lot of encouragement and like you you need to live on you need mm. to continue uh you need you need to make it to your destination regardless of what happens to me or anybody else sure, and sure. it's just it's a lot yeah that's a that's a heavy hand to be dealt in vgm <laughs> yeah for sure for me probably uh the end theme from chrono trigger mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty emotional heavy one for me yeah, go, going through and revisiting all the all the different worlds and stuff. Yeah, just in general, the song in and of itself is just kind of an emotional mm. recoil. It's just a, a shot back through the whole game. But in addition to that, it it revisits some of the melodies mm-hmm. from you know. It's just it's a it's it's a it's a heart wrencher for yep. me yep. personally. But that's what good VGM do. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, so Nobu Uematsu. Uh, I mean, we play every episode almost, so <laughs> I don't think we need to talk about him. No, I don't think we're gonna go deep into that. Like every Final <laughs> Fantasy, uh, and and yeah. and so much more. Yeah. Rad Racer. We like we always like to wait toss no, that. Yeah, in. yeah. We, we always like to toss. Rad Racer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it's just so, so such a quality composer, mm-hmm. and this the, to me is 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 the pinnacle. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you got? So, my first pick is no surprise to anyone who knows me. This is by far my favorite composer of all time for VGM. It is Ikumizutani, and we're going to be hearing a song that he did off the Shatterhand soundtrack, which came out on the NES in 1991, and this is labeled as BGM Five.
thanks for joining us back on Masters of VGM. Um, um. That was Shatterhand, the NES game that came out in 1991. That was BGM 5 by my personal favorite composer for video game music, Iku Mizutani. Mm-hmm. Um, I never played this one growing up. It, I didn't really know anything about Natsume or anything. Like, I don't think I owned a single Natsume game as a kid. Maybe one game, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But I discovered all those games through my buddy Brian, who has been on the show before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Brian and I would just hang out in his apartment, you know, in college, and we would just play emulated NES stuff that we never got to play as kids. And I remember he showed me Shatterhand, and I was like, what is this? Like, this looks ridiculous, and it's ridiculously amazing. It's one of my favorite games on the NES, for sure. Uh, Not just because of the amazing soundtrack, but it's a really fun action game in the vein of, like, you know, the Batman game on the NES, like the Sunsoft Batman game, Mm. Mega Man. I mean, there's just so many influences from all the games that I love just rolled into, like, just this over-the-top, action game you play as this guy Shatterhand which I think his name is Steve or something like that in real life <laughs> and uh, he's like a ex-cop or something that gets his arms ripped off and gets replaced with like um, uh, metal arms and then they reskin them to be like you know a skin like actual skin or whatever yeah, yeah. but he he has control of like these robots that like kind of hover over him that you can collect like um, these little icons for if you punch the icon it'll give you different letters and the different letters do diff- have different robots so oh, you can you can kind of pick yes. which robot you want and some are good combinations, some are not so great combinations, but the there's a lot of them. Like there's a bunch, there's probably about like maybe eight or I don't know, 10 combinations or whatever that you could do something like that. It's cool. It's a really fun action game with great, great music. Um, Iku Mizutani was the only composer on this one. Hiroyuki Iwatsuki did the sound effects on it. But honestly, it, it's interesting because we in, we interviewed Iku Mizutani back on Pixel Tunes Radio, my former podcast, and it was just a dream to talk to this guy. Um, you know, we o- were only able to do like an email interview, yeah, um, back and forth with him or whatever, and get everything retranslated by our by our buddy uh, uh, Brian over at Pixelated Audio. He helped us out immensely with that. But we just learned so much about like video game music and the Japanese industry and like how game music is made so and it answered a lot of questions as to why it is that i always think that iku mizutani did all these games when in fact like his lineup of games that he did is actually a lot smaller than i thought it was and the reason for that like i would be like oh he did this game and then it was like oh no hiroyuki watsuki did that oh okay well i know he did this game nope hiroyuki watsuki did that one so i was torn on whether or not i was going to do hiroyuki watsuki or ikumizutani but then like i went and listened i went back and listened to the game boy color library that he did Uh, he did a ton ikumizutani did a ton of game boy color games and his solo stuff on the game boy color just like made me realize how good of a composer he is and how much i love his stuff that is one of the reasons why I, I picked him. Is I love really energetic Japanese action game music, 
but also he takes a lot of influences from a lot of other sources. I mean, this song in particular is a very rockin' song, very like metal oriented, oh, yeah. uh, so to speak. I feel like almost like a uh, like a bit of a, a Queensrÿche vibe in a lot of ways, like some really heavy kind of Queensrÿche uh, songs from some other older material. But in a way, too, there's like a little bit of Iron Maiden in there. There's also a little bit of jazz flow to it, hmm. uh, you know, especially that that drum beat, you know. It's got a swing to it. But I love the sound tone that he uses on all of his songs. It just sounds so crisp and clean. And there's this really awesome echo that just like resonates the the songs, especially like the 8-bit stuff that like that's what Natsume is like known for. Like when you listen to a Natsume song, you know it's a Natsume song, you know, yeah, yeah. especially an Ikumisutani song. Those drums more towards the the right before it really kicks into that really energetic part. You got the da 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 da, and then it goes. Those drums just don't sound like anything else on the NES. That little series of like whatever they are, like tom rolls or whatever, they just sound so like deep sounding so like different hmm. than anything else i heard on the nes so like still to this day like i'm a big fan of any kind of music that makes me listen to it and each time i listen to it i hear either new things or i reappreciate the hmm. things that i loved so much about it from the time that i first heard it so not only does it take me back to the time i first heard it but also kind of makes me go oh man this is so good like why is this so good <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on it? So I'm I'm not familiar with Shatterhand itself. Mm. Uh, I know that I've, I've listened to some of the music because you you've played some of it for me before. <laughs> yes, uh, and it, it's great. Like mm. I th- this one in particular uh, was was very uh, groovy. Isn't the word, but it's the word that's coming to mind. Bounce, bah, maybe bounce, maybe. But uh, like I I, just, I really like the like the, the main riff that that goes over the and like you're right it, it really reminds me of some some of the really good like heavy metal stuff that I have enjoyed in the past mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's weird because like I never would have compared it to heavy metal until mm. you made you, when you when you said it it made the connection in my brain and I was like oh yeah no I could totally hear this on some like really heavy heavy guitars and yeah. stuff. Um, but I, I think in my mind, I heard this as more of a, maybe just like a regular rock song. Um, I wouldn't quite go classical, but there there are other ways that I, I know that that you can kind of interpret some of these sounds. Sure. But like when you look at it through the lens of some of his influences, mm. it really kind of colors where, like where it comes from and where it's going. Yeah, I remember him specifically mentioning the Moody Blues and uh, some of the like Japanese jazz fusion bands that were out back in the day. It really kind of makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, his stuff is just really unique and very complex. You listen to the loops, and sure, they're repetitive, but at the same time, there's just so much to them that, uh, and, and things just keep changing, you know what I mean? Like, you could listen to the songs just over and over again, they just never lose value to me. They're just mm. always excellent, so. We don't talk too much about Ikumizutani, and the reason for that is, I, I don't know, I'm selfish, and I, I want to do a full episode on <laughs> uh, Natsume in general, which we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll eventually get to. But just real quick, uh, just to touch on a few games... He did Tailgater, uh, which was a Game Boy game, uh, Shadow of the Ninja on the NES. He originally started with uh, Rock and Rage, doing sound effects on that in 1986. Then he started working uh, with Konami on games like Russian Attack and Metal Gear. Mm. So, I mean, he's 
done some amazing work on those. Russian Attack's like one of my favorite NES game soundtracks too. Or just really arcade game soundtracks. Love that game and the soundtrack for that. But then he kind of like, he stayed with Natsume for a very long time after he left Konami, working on a bunch of like uh, licensed games for like uh, Game Boy Color, stuff like Action Man, uh, Search for Base X, which has a phenomenal mm. soundtrack. Croc 2, uh, Pixar, Monsters, Inc. And I think he did the Game Boy Advance version, possibly, on that. He did a bunch of Power Ranger games like Time Force and Lightspeed Rescue, which all have amazing soundtracks. I can go on and on, but the final (laughs) game that he is credited for is a game called Hero Must Die Again, uh, which came out in 2020, and he was the sound manager on that one, which really means the songs are going to sound like his. Yeah. Because that's what I tend to notice about whenever he's in a director role or a producer role, is that when you listen to the soundtrack, you're like, oh man, this totally sounds like Ika Mizutani. So, yeah, Mm. there's no, that's no accident. I think he has a lot of influence over uh, composers in, in that aspect, but maybe I'm wrong. No, that's fair. Yeah. All right, I'm going to shut up about Ikumizutani and let you get to your next one. So, <laughs> All right, so next up on my list, or next up on my m- mountain uh, carving, <laughs> whatever you want to call this, yeah. uh, this is going to be from Dr. Mario, a 1990 NES game, and this is Hirokazu Hiptanaka's Fever track. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back. That was Hirokazu Hip Tanaka's Fever from Dr. Mario on the NES in 1990. How do you think he got the name Hip? Like the nickname Hip Tanaka? Uh, I just assumed that he was, you know, a, a hip guy. People were just like, yo. Yeah. That, that, that Hip Tanaka over there. <laughs> I remember being a kid and thinking his name was Hip Tanaka because that was his name in the credits and it wasn't until i i think until i started doing podcasting that i learned oh his name first name is hirakazu whoops <laughs> i thought it was hip tanaka this whole time yeah i mean if, that, if that's what people call them then that, that's i mean hmm. are you michael levy or are you mike levy i i guess that's a fair point yeah, yeah. so it's hip, uh, hip levy <laughs> michael hip levy yes yes how much dr mario did you play oh, as a kid a yeah, lot yeah same here a great game yeah it, i mean it was it was different because like uh, tetris was everywhere mm-hmm. uh, i mean there's even a dr mario and tetris uh, combination game on the n64 right yep. Yeah. yep but like you know tetris was was all over the place there was a couple different games that were that were these kind of like falling piece puzzle games poyo poyo was mm. uh I, I think was getting big around the time that i discovered dr mario yeah dr mario was it was very simple like there's really like you start off with like what red and blue mm-hmm. and then they start adding more colors of virus as, as you go on yeah but it, it it had a very low learning curve like tetris yeah tetris wasn't that bad but i i, I very quickly get overwhelmed with tetris mm. um i i am not i'm no good i'm garbage at tetris really yeah me, me, i can get maybe to level like two or three but like once things start speeding up my brain just shuts down it's like oh. you don't know what to do or where to put these things yeah I yeah up yeah myself. Yeah, I feel like once you really jack up the levels in Dr. Mario, though, it gets to that level. It gets to that point where you really got to know where to go and what to do. And if you don't, you're going to screw it up and then you're just going to die instantly. But, you know, um, what I like is that you can change the level in Dr. Mario. So, like, you don't need to start at level zero. You can change all the way to the very last (laughs) level and then just get crushed. Yes. So it's uh, and everything in between. It's it's a cool it's a cool game. It's it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I. I, th- I think the, the what made it more manageable for me was the fact that Mario throws these pills and mm. it ju- they just have two colors, on, potentially two colors. Yeah. Uh, they, they could be, you know, both sides could be one color. Right. But it's red, it's, blue or yellow. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's less to think about because at that point, it's just like, OK, where are the colors and where is this going to be the most helpful to me? And yes, yeah. as it gets faster, it's harder to do that. But with with Tetris, you've got multiple different shapes and some of them are only going to fit in certain areas. Mm. And it just it, it gets it, it, it overwhelms me way too quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tetris just, I mean, I liked it. I thought it was good. But, man, Dr. Mario is just so much more fun. It's just more exciting. And the fact that there's that Mario tie-in. I will say, when you clear all the viruses, they kind of all shake each one when you finish each one. And then Mm. they, they disappear, right? But if you don't, and the viruses defeat you... It plays this, it goes, and then you hear this, and it just keeps doing that. And then eventually, if you just sit on that menu and watch the viruses taunt you, eventually the music has this creepy noise that just, it's like a, it's like a hiccup. It's like a, and then there's silence. And for whatever reason, when I was a kid, when that part would come up, it would creep me out. And I don't know why. It Because uh, it's the absence of music, maybe, or there yeah. was music, and then it got creepy because it got silent and they're still taunting you. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's like a weird, like, scary moment in video games for me as a kid. 
super strange. I don't remember that. I, I don't know if I ever really waited around that long. Mm. Uh, but yeah, no, that I, I can see that being creepy, especially when you've got music going on and things happening and then like it just stops yeah. like, when when it's silent and, and things are still moving on the screen. Yeah, I can see that being creepy. Yeah, it's strange. So I, I picked this track because I feel like it is one of, if not the most popular <laughs> Hiptanaka track out there. Uh, I know Chill is your favorite track from Dr. Mario, yes. um, but in in the world at large, I feel like most people would say their their favorite track between the two is probably Fever, uh, and maybe Brentel Floss has something to do with that. I mean, he mm. did the Dr. Mario with lyrics that was uh, very, oh, right. very funny. Yes, uh, or or maybe it's just that this is the one that people heard more often. I'm not sure. Like this is the one that I always remember. This like, is the first track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like chill, I can never I can never remember it off the top of my head. Like I need I need somebody to start it or I need to hear the beginning of it before I can go, oh yeah, yeah, no, I know that song. Oh, but yeah, like th- this one, you say Dr. Mario to me, and I just go, do, 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 right. do, 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 like it's just, it's just in my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, and then as as we we listen to some of the other versions uh, as well, uh, I'd never realized that the N64 and so a lot of the later versions of this track are actually slowed down. Like, this is a faster version yeah. of what is used later. And they threw in a lot of sound effects in the uh, later versions of oh, the yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, a lot very of duck quacks and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. And then the uh, the the Game Boy version is also pretty good. Mm. I, I was originally going to pick the Game Boy version uh, and then decided against it because I, I feel the NES version is just a little bit cleaner. The, NES, the Game Boy version feels like it's trying to emulate the NES version too mm. much and some of the noises sound more like noise than they do like drums or, or anything else. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, okay. It, it just, it, it didn't feel as clean to me. I don't think I've ever played the Game Boy version, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just a lack of color. Right, right. That, that'd be my biggest issue with it. Yep. But, and then I don't think we need to talk about Hip Tanaka. Oh, no, we, we've talked about Hip Tanaka a, a lot. lot yeah. throughout, uh, throughout the, these shows. I mean, mm. if it's if it's a Nintendo game, it's basically either Koji Kondo or Hip Tanaka. Yeah, or uh, <laughs> Kazumi Tataka. Oh, yes, yes, Tataka. Right, yeah, yeah. right, right, right. All right, well, then we'll get into my next pick. So this should come as no surprise to anyone that listens to XVGM normally. Uh, I'm a massive Castlevania fan. And Castlevania Symphony of the Night is one of my favorites. Uh, This came out on the PlayStation 1 and the Saturn. The Saturn version came out in 98. The PS1 version came out in 97. Wandering Souls is the name of the track we're going to be listening to today. And it is by Mishiru Yamane.
You're listening to XVGM Radio. You're back, and that was Castlevania Symphony of the Night that came out on the PS1 and the Saturn in 97 and 98, respectively. Wandering Souls was the name of the song, and that was by Mishru Yamane. Oh, man. <laughs> so, little trivia about this track, actually. Mm. Uh, the game's title screen sound test calls this track Wandering Souls, but the library sound test calls it Wandering Ghosts. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you can find it both ways online. But I've heard it both ways. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I think I've heard it called Wandering Ghosts more than anything else, but like when I saw Wandering Souls, I knew which track you had picked. Yeah. Do you remember which area this plays in? This is in... Right before you get to Richter. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because this is the Colosseum music. Yeah, the Colosseum, that's yep. it. I can almost never rem- I remember the chapel. Yep. And that's the one that I remember the most, honestly. <laughs> and I've played through the game, like, multiple times. Same, but... same. Before you get to the Inverted Castle, the, yeah. the Colosseum, I think, is where I tend to grind if I if I need to, right. to, to grind stuff out. Yeah, it's Once a tough the... area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of difficult monsters. So... It's a fully loaded area. Um, you get these elevators that go up and down that you gotta like traverse through, multi-layered. It's cool, fantastic game, and amazing, amazing soundtrack. Kinyo Yamashita is credited largely for creating the sound of the first Castlevania, along with Satoe Terashima and Hidenori Maizawa. Mm. But I gotta say, I think Mishiro Yamane takes the cake for me as far as like developing the Castlevania sound to what it exists today. Like, what we know it now. They took what those composers, along with, like, Kenichi Matsubara and uh, all the composers on, like, the Super Castlevania 4 soundtrack were doing and uh, just kind of gathered up all all the references and all the sounds and everything, you know, the Baroque classical influences, the dance stuff, the rock stuff, the metal stuff, the jazz stuff, like, the acid jazz stuff, the big band stuff and you hear that in this song like this entire soundtrack is just loaded with all different types of genres of music but it all kind of has this like baroque backbone to it Hmm. which is to me the sound of castlevania Castlevania. right right um so i've always considered it like baroque era classical music merged with all these different genres dance rock etc jazz Mm -hmm. you know whatever but yeah, I just I love this big band vibe that kind of comes in with those horns. Da, 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 yeah, yeah. Know, da, da. It's such a exciting piece of music. It was really tough to pick something for this <laughs> because literally almost every song I could pick from, and there's one that I specifically did not pick, which is probably my favorite on the soundtrack, and that's the Tragic Prince. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is that one when you are you see the giant skulls? And oh, the, with the, their the teeth, tower. They go. Yeah. When they come after you, yeah. It's not the clock tower. I think that's the tower. Right, but it does lead the into tower. the clock tower. Exactly. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And that area, you can't really, like, explore it much without the bat power. So you just kind of, like... because oh, it's, it's big open. Right. When you yeah. get the double jump, you can kind of explore it further, and you can advance a little bit. But, like, until you get the bat power, like, you really kind of can't see all everything that's in the air or whatever. But Yeah, because there's also a secret area up, like, up into the right, right. Um, and whatnot. Right. But, right. yeah, no, the, this track, I agree with you. The, I'd be hard-pressed to pick a track from mm-hmm. this game as my favorite because there are a lot of really good ones. Like, I also like the track in the caves. I, oh, I, the waterfall one? I think so. Yeah, I almost picked that one, too. My issue with that one, it, it, and my issue with picking 
specific songs that I absolutely love is that they stick to one genre for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of these tracks, like very few of the tracks really do have like everything mixed together. I feel like this song does, you know, you've got the more dancey kind of, you know, jazzy vibes to it. But then on top of that, you also have soothing strings in there. And there's a lot of like hidden stuff in the background too that you'll catch later on in the track too that when you go back and listen to it on headphones you're like what wait what is that what is that sound you know yeah i really like how the way that the track opens it always gets me like it, mm. it kind of has this ethereal opening and then it like it, oh, get, it gets ghosts. really yeah. really hard with the um i guess i guess it's like keys that where it, where it gets in the um starts off with the the cymbals yeah yeah but I, I can never quite place the instrument. I want to. I, I want to say it's like a harpsichord and something else. I don't know, man. I don't but know. the way yeah. the way that it's used is just it, it's really cool. Uh, so mm. good pick. And yeah, yeah Michiru Yamane, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Went on to do so many more soundtracks for Konami with uh, the Castlevania series, right up to the more recent Grimoire of Souls. Returned to do that as well as uh, Ritual of the Night for Bloodstained, working with uh, Koji Igarashi on that. Bloodstained Curse of the Moon as well. That is her main selling point is, you know, she's now the Castlevania composer lady. So, <laughs> But she's done other stuff too. She did a really cool jazz soundtrack for like a jazz big band soundtrack for Skullgirls, which had a really good soundtrack. And otherwise, I mean, you know, she's just contributed like a bunch of Konami stuff over the years. I don't think I've ever heard a song from her that I didn't like. <laughs> so she's one of my top favorites. All right. Well, you got another heavy hitter coming up. Oh, yes. So I know many, many of our listeners that will be very happy to hear this name. Uh, this is going to be Yuzo Koshiro, and I have picked a track from the newer Act Razor Renaissance. This came out on Switch and PC in 2021, and I've picked the Super Famicom version of the Alka Leone track, which does not appear in the original Act Razor. This is mm. a, an area that was created for the new game, and Yuzo Koshiro redid all of the music for this game so when you play you can choose to listen to the original super famicom version mm -hmm. of all of the music or the new fully orchestrated version so this is a brand new super famicom track exactly that's phenomenal yep. that i think just sold me on buying this game oh yeah no it's a great game i love it i love the original so let's do it
Welcome back. That was the newest of the Yuzo Koshiro bangers, Alcaleone, the Super Famicom version from Actraiser Renaissance, which came out in 2021 on the Switch and the PC. I'm curious on your take on this, because I have a lot to say about Yuzo himself mm -hmm. as a composer for VGM, but I'm curious about your take on this. So, uh, I mean, Yuzo, I'm mostly familiar with Yuzo from the Actraiser game. It was another one of those games that when I encountered it as a kid, I had a friend who had the game, let me borrow it, and I borrowed it multiple times, and it was difficult because he liked the game as much as I did. Huh. Uh, I just could never get my hands on, on a copy for myself, sure. so it was unfortunate. But, oh man, it just... There's so many tracks in the original game that I really loved. Like, the opening track was great, the Fillmore track was great, Bloodpool. I just, I, I really liked what Yuzo's music did for the game. Like, every area felt unique and it felt appropriate. Even when you were in the, the action levels and you were hearing the music, it was action music versus mm -hmm. when you were doing, like, the, the SimCity-style stuff. It was more just, like, theme music for the town. And, I mean, they, they even call attention to it in the game by one of your towns eventually develops music and then you can right. share that with the other towns and mm. spread this joy as someone who is very interested in music and plays different instruments I, I really appreciated that they did that in the game and also had just these tracks that were killer mm. I love the fact that Yuzo Koshiro is so passionate about old hardware <laughs> that he goes and takes like the PC-98 or the PC-88 or whatever he's using, the NES, the Super NES, whatever he's using to record, he knows these methods of recording on original hardware so well and he appreciates them. Mm to the point where he will go and make brand new music in that sound style to be used in new games like this. Just phenomenal. He does the same thing with the series The Ancient, his company worked on. So I love his passion for retro hardware. That's, I think, my favorite thing about Yuzo Koshiro. Aside from that, he's a phenomenal composer, and I'm so glad that you picked him so I didn't have to. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, there are so many great games just under his belt. Uh, mm. I feel like Yuzo Koshiro is one of the composers that we touched on a handful of times, but I, I don't feel that we've really ever taken a deep dive yeah. into his history. Yeah. And, and I mean, it spans so many genres, so many developers, publishers, like he just has so many great things out there like mm. he, Castlevania Portrait of Ruin like we were just talking about Castlevania right he worked Mishiri with Mishiri Mane. Mane. Yeah. yeah and he was a composer on, uh, on Portrait of Ruin yeah we did an episode with Rhythm Pixels on Wonder Boy and Adventure Island and mm -hmm. Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom in 2018 he was a recording director on that Super Adventure Island yep and, mm -hmm. and that that as well uh, Etrian Odyssey games yep just so like, Wangan Midnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The racing yeah. games. Wangan Midnight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even Act Razor 2, the game I did not care for, but the music was at least fantastic. Absolutely. I absolutely love Act Razor. It's one of my favorite Super mm -hmm. NES games. It's got a phenomenal soundtrack, as you said, but I kind of had written off the remake because a lot of people said it wasn't good. I remember when it came out, I was I was reading that like a lot of people were really negative, kind of poo-pooing on it, but oh. the fact that he went and did new music in the Super NES style, I mean, like, I did hear some other people that were closer friends of mine be like, oh, it was great. Yeah. Like, it was a great game. So I'm probably going to grab it. 
Yeah, I can imagine some people probably didn't like some of the things that were added to the game. Mm. They added more of a kind of tower defense type of a thing, which okay. I don't believe was in the original game. Like no. the original game had, you know, you built your town, you had to defend it and whatnot. Right. But like there are actual like segments where everything kind of stops and you have to build structures and defend your town from attacking monsters. Okay. I'm not a big tower defense guy. Mm. Uh, I don't hate tower defense games, but like it's not like I don't go out looking for tower defense. Sure. But I, I really enjoyed those sections. Like I didn't find them to be super difficult. Mm. Uh, later in the game, they, they do get harder, but so does everything else. So does... like it, it wasn't like disproportionate. I should also mention this game came out on more than just the Switch and the PC. It yeah. also came out on iDevices, Android, and PS4. Oh, that's wacky. Um, okay. I think, I think those came out afterwards, though. I believe... The Switch port was, I believe, the, the only way, the first yeah. and only way to play it for the time being, and they did, like, an exclusive, timed exclusive sort of thing. So. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I think I also said that this was the latest banger from Yuzo Koshiro. Yes. That is not uh, quite correct, because in 2022, Yuzo Koshiro was the main composer on a game called Soul Cresta. Yeah. Uh, and said that's on the PS4, Nintendo Switch, and It's a PC. shooter. Yep. Right, yep. right, right. So. Yeah. He also did, I think, the intro music to The Takeover, which is a beat-em-up. Hmm. Either the intro music or the first stage. I can't remember. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Channeling his Streets of Rage roots. So. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go ahead and be predictable again and play something from Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy's Conquest. And that came out in the Super NES in 1995. This is Lockjaw's Saga by Mr. David Wise. Welcome back to Masters of VGM, our dedication to video game music composers that belong on our fictitious Mount Rushmore, <laughs> I guess you could say. That was Donkey Kong Country 2 Diddy's Conquest, came out in the Super NES in 1995. That was by David Wise and it's Lockjaw's Saga. I think the thing that really stands out to me in this song... Are the drums? Yes, definitely the drums. That little echo 
Mm. That's on the drums. Really nice. It's heart pounding song and it kind of echoes the levels that you're playing this through, which are all inside of a pirate ship. Mm. One is like an underwater one where you have a single lens, I guess you could say, from I think the character's name is Glimmer, who is like a specific type of fish. He, when he turns, uh, his lantern or his eye or whatever turns too, so it like lights the way, oh. depending on which way you go, which is like kind of a strobe effect, especially if you're going back and forth like frequently, like I usually do. So there's that level. There's uh, some other levels that this plays in where like you're dropped into a pirate ship and you're just like collecting bananas frantically, mm-hmm. and then you land and you've got to figure out where to go and what to do and everything. Yeah, this one, it was really tough and way too easy to pick my go-to, which is uh, the song that we played on uh, when we interviewed him. Sticker Brush. Sticker Brush Symphony, which I love and is easily top five favorite VGM tracks of all time. But there's something about this song in particular that I, I really love. I don't know if it's like the heart pounding kind of vibe that it gives you, the drums. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it was really hard to pick a specific song from this. I almost went with the song that we talked about during the episode when we uh, had David Wise on the show. So Lockjaw Saga is just a really phenomenal track that I love this entire soundtrack from top to bottom. And it's my favorite Donkey Kong Country game, despite the fact that I have super nostalgia for the first one this one is just the better game the better soundtrack mm. everything's better about it so what what are your thoughts on this one because i don't think we I, I maybe we talked a little bit about donkey kong country 2 or just donkey kong country in general during the episode where we talked to david wise and uh grant kirkhope about ukulele and yeah. all the games that inspired it but what about you so not a lot of experience with the Donkey Kong Country games. I just, they, they weren't my thing when they came out. Mm-hmm. But this track was kind of intense. Mm. So definitely the standout was those drums. I, I like the reverb effect on them. I thought that they were really powerful. And the feeling overall that I get from this track is is one kind of, uh, is, is kind of a tense feeling. Like it, it feels like there's either something hunting you yeah. or or you're just, you're, you're in a very precarious situation. Yeah, I'm assuming that that is kind of what's going on in the levels, uh, and if that's the case, then I think it's communicated very well in the track. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if you're being hunted, but like the enemies are a lot more intense in the, in these levels, I would say. So maybe that's part of it. High, higher danger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a big part of it. Before you get to this part, all the rest of the music is very lighthearted, very floaty pirate music kind mm. of, and this really kind of amps up the danger vibe that the game gives off and throughout the entire game you will experience moments like that too it's pretty amazing just the entire soundtrack top to bottom it's good it's good stuff Uh, david wise we've talked about him a lot uh we've had him on the show i think he might be the only person on this list that we've actually had on the show yes yes yeah but it's just really cool to listen to a david wise track and think I remember listening to this as a kid. I remember listening to this now, and nothing has changed about <laughs> my opinions on it. It's still the same. And listening to his modern stuff, too, you really get a sense of who he is as a composer. Mm. You know, you really kind of 
vibe out to his tracks and learn like when you hear a David Wise track, you know it's a David Wise track. You know, and and I think that's the thing about a lot of these composers is when you hear their stuff, you know it is them. Yeah, you can tell right off the bat. Like that's a Nobuo Uematsu track. That's a Hip Tanaka track. Yep. That's a Yukumizutani track. So. <laughs> You know, that that's, I think, a really important signifier of this music. I would agree overall, although I think I will challenge you on my final pick because okay. this this person actually can cross genres pretty well. Um, yeah, this one is one that I did not expect you to pick, truth be told. <laughs> no, no. So so this is me channeling Rob from Rhythm and Pixels. Okay. Legit, I, I do love this composer, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the impact uh, after we listen to the track. Cool. But we're going to take a hard right turn into DDR 5th Mix. Mm. Uh, this came out in arcades in 2001. The track is Dynamite Rave. This is the long version, and it was composed by Naoki Maeda. So 
right, welcome back. That was the last face on my Mount Rushmore, <laughs> Naoki Maeda, with his track from DDR Fifth Mix, Dynamite Rave. This is the long version. The vocals on this done by Val Tiatia and Brenda Birch. And this came out in arcades in 2001. Oh, man. Taking it way back. Love it. <laughs> oh, man. I have not heard this song in a really long time. And it was nice to hear the long version for a change because I've just played it endlessly on DDR, you know, <laughs> like on the games itself. And it's always the short version. So that was pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. I think the short version is like one minute and 34 seconds. Right. It's just it's not enough. <laughs> no, definitely not. No. But yeah, like you said, kind of surprising because I, I don't think I really talk a whole lot about DDR. Mm. And it was a, a fairly big section of my video gaming days in the early 2000s. I'm trying to remember when it came out or when I became aware of it over here. And I want to say it was either my senior year of high school or it was shortly after or before I went to college. Mm. So, I mean, it was right around that 2001 time frame. But I know when it first came out, like I saw it and I was like, what the? We play video games in here. I don't want to work out. I want to play games. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, one, yeah. of my, one of my friends got into it and I was like, oh, okay, like I see the challenge. And then as soon as I got into it, I just got sucked in. Yeah. Dynamite Rave was probably my favorite song for a very long time. And then, you know, Kick the Can was one of my favorite songs because it was the first one that I actually could do on Maniac Mode. Nice. But there are so many, so many tracks on these games and they all have, you know, different artists and whatnot. Until you look into them and actually find out that Naoki Maeda just made up artist names so that the games would have, you know, oh. a variety of, of a variety of songs. And I artists. didn't know that. That's really cool. <laughs> so I, I think this one actually says that it's by Naoki. It's funny. I didn't realize that until I was listening to the episode of VG Embassy that Rob was on, where Rob and Ed talked all about DDR, and mm. he he mentioned that. I was like. No, like same thing happened. Blew yeah. my mind. I was like, no way. And I went and looked up like almost all of my favorite songs were Naoki Maeda. Wow. It's like that's phenomenal. That's awesome. Rhythm, yeah. Rhythm Police. Uh, no rhythm. I don't think Rhythm Police was him. Uh, but uh, Max Three Hundred, Paranoia, okay. all the uh, a lot of the Paranoia I mixes. Feel. A Trip Machine, Angel, uh, I Angel feel. B. <laughs> Good stuff. I, I mean, uh, I love DDR. My first exposure to it was with our mutual buddy Kevin. We went into this place called Smiles. R.I.P. R.I.P. Smiles here in Connecticut. <laughs> and we would go and like, I was terrible, of course, at first. <laughs> I mean, I was playing on light. We would play in the arcades and play and play and play. And then eventually we got the home versions and we would play that. And I remember he went out and made his own metal pads. Oh, my so, God. And then we would play on those. There's even oh. a picture floating around on my computer of us all posing with the metal pads. And it's basically like, well, our college career is over. We're going to just play DDR for the rest of our lives. Man, yeah, we played so much DDR and got really into it. And it was a lot of fun. I was always like, I couldn't really do anything beyond standard. Hmm. Heavy just got too heavy for me. You know? Yeah, no, that's fair. Like the hard stuff was legitimately hard. I granted it's been a long time since I've played, so I never got the hang of I wanna say trots, but I don't think trots is the right Oh, word. the ones that it's like half steps, like I could never get the hang of it. Yeah. Like Rhythm and the Police, the heavy version has a lot of that, and I yes. can really only play that on standard. Yeah, yeah. I was more into the flow and vibe of standard too. Mm. Like, it just, to me, sounded more, you know, rhythm-based, so to speak. Heavy was just, like, 
balls to the wall like crazy <laughs> to me. But standard, like a lot of the songs are like like it had more of a flow and rhythm to it yeah. that I could get on board with. So I always preferred playing on standard because of that. So. <laughs> Like, I remember playing Never Ending Story with uh, our buddy Chris Murray, who's a, yeah. a patron and fan of the show. And I remember we'd be like, Never Ending Story. And, like, the whole, like, part where it's, like, story, it'd just be, like, arrows, 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 yep. arrows, arrows. And, like, I remember just watching him go bananas on the arrows and being like, I'm never going to do that, ever. <laughs> like, I'm completely happy with being on standard and just, like, vibing out to the song and getting a good workout and a good dance. But That's this, fair. you totally blew my mind. So thank you for that. I haven't really gotten any of the stuff on the show because we. I just feel like there hasn't really been a good mm. opportunity to. And uh, it's not just like shoehorning uh, an artist in just sure. because I want to get a song on. Like, yeah, but I, this is your master of EGM. It, it, exactly. And, right. and that's the thing. Like, there, there are so many so many great tracks that Naoki did yeah. that I, I just I feel like he deserves a spot on my mountain. I feel like we really went uphill with newer stuff and we're now approaching the end of the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, my final pick is probably the newest composer on this list. And that yeah, would be yeah. uh, Jake Kaufman. So big fan of his Shantae half genie hero is the game that we're going to be playing from. It came out on the Wii U, the PS4, the Xbox one switch Vita and windows in 2016. And kind of like all the ports, like all over that mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Tasseltown is the name of the track we're going to hear. And it's by again, Jake Kaufman.
Hey, you are back, and that was our final pick from Masters of VGM. That was Shantae, Half Genie Hero, the Wii U, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, Vita, Windows game that came out in 2016, and all other releases all over the place. I don't know. Games imported endlessly. Tasseltown was the name of the song, and that was by Jake Kaufman. What are your thoughts on this one? That was really bopping. Yes. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I, I listened to this uh, actually a couple times over the last week just because I, I was checking out what you had yeah. in the, in our document, and this was the one that I actually came back to a number of times. Nice. Uh, I don't have as much experience with the Shantae series as I wish I did. Mm. Uh, I got Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. Great game. Very great game. I think I got it on both the Wii U and the DS mm -hmm. uh, as part of like a Humble Bundle or something. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. Um, I, I never went back to like the uh, the, the, the Game Boy game or anything, mm. but I've wanted to play and, and check out the other ones like, what is it, uh, Risky's Revenge? And, the, and this one, this, uh, Half Genie Hero. Yeah, this is um, the... Is when it, they finally brought it to HD, basically. Yeah, yeah. Is this the one that has um, the the Friends DLC where you can play as Roddy Tops? Uh, yeah. And, okay. Yeah, I really need to grab this one because mm -hmm. I, I ended up going down a Shantae rabbit hole <laughs> the other day and was just like, oh man, I forgot about Roddy Tops. And like a lot of the the official art for Roddy Tops yeah. is way cuter than it has any right to be. Yeah, like, yeah. She's a zombie for, for crying out loud. I know, like, I know, I know. But yeah, it, she's a cute character, and a lot of the characters in these games are super adorable. Yeah, they are. So Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Big fan of the Shantae series, uh, one of my favorite franchises. It's interesting, because I've been following the game since the original, but I didn't get the original until maybe like 2007 or six or something like that, mm -hmm. when I found the cart, the Game Boy Color cart, randomly at a GameStop. It was like, oh man, I meant to pick this up and never did. <laughs> and so I bought it. And now it's like a thousand dollar game. Loose. Oh my God. Loose. Crazy. I'm glad you got it when you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is just bananas because that's just how the video game market goes for secondary yeah. stuff. But I, you know, really liked playing Shantae. I played it on my Game Boy Advance SP and loved it. And then I was eagerly awaiting the uh, one that was potentially going to come out called like Shantae Advance or whatever. And never came out. Mm. They were working on it, working on it. Eventually became Risky's Revenge. Mm -hmm. Got that on the DSi. It's pretty much one of the main reasons why I waited until the 3DS came out and then I bought it on there. Mm, okay. And that was like literally the first game that I bought digitally on the system mm. and just loved it. And just have been buying all the Shantae games ever since then. And to me personally, Jake Kaufman is the only person that can compose. <laughs> well, actually, no, that's not true. I think there's one other person that can do it. And that would be the guy that we interviewed for our very first composer episode, Coda. Right, right. Because yes. Coda can really emulate that Jake Kaufman style and sound because he's done it before. He's covered songs you know, on the soundtrack as kind of bonuses, they're friends, you know, mm -hmm. like, I really think that if Jake never comes back to do a Shantae game, I think Coda should, Coda should definitely yeah. be the fill-in, for sure. Uh, but what I like about Jake's style is that he utilizes a lot of musical genres of all different kinds. I mean, he does the big band, he does the metal, he does the dance, he loves doing the funk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He does so much just randomness and it's all kind of backed by like a like middle eastern vibe for this yeah yeah i was gonna say yeah but in addition to that him growing up 
Jewish and with a father who's a cantor. I know this mm. because I actually talked to him about this in like a comment section or something like that, if I recall. And he was doing these remixes of like classic video game songs, but in like a totally different genre or style. So oh. one of the one first ones that he did was Cutman mm. from Mega Man 1. And he did it in the style of like Jewish music, like traditional Jewish music. Hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. And I like, I think I told him like in the comments, like I grew up Jewish and everything. Like this really hits home for me. And he was like, yeah, my dad was a, uh, a cantor, cantor, I think yeah. he said. So hmm. him growing up with that love of that type of music really showcases like that Middle Eastern vibe in this track that's kind of like fluid throughout the entire thing. So you get those really unique horns, those very like Middle Eastern sounding horns, you know, that with the yeah, bah, yeah. Bah, bah, they got like very like, like a uh, tweaky kind of uh, 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 l like low end. Mm, it's, okay. it's interesting. It's not quite like a saxophone. It's more like, I, I don't even know, like an oboe or something like that. It's cool. Hmm. I really enjoy listening to this one. This is one of those tracks that you can't help but nod and bob <laughs> your head to because it's just it's so funky, but it's also so unique and different. So, And all of his music kind of sounds different in a way. I mean, he's done everything and anything. He's done 8-bit stuff. He's done newer stuff. You know, he did the Shovel Knight soundtrack. He did, oh, yeah. you know, so, so much stuff. When the newest Shantae game came out, I was all ready to, you know, go in head first. And then I heard the soundtrack, and it wasn't by Jake. And I was just like, oh, crushed. Yeah. Because it just, I'm not going to sit here and knock that composer, because that would be just wrong. And the songs I did hear were okay. They just were not Jake Coffin. They, they, were they, not, weren't you were, they weren't what you were expecting. Right. It'd be like listening to Castlevania music and and expecting Castlevania music and getting, like, I don't know, Mario yeah. music. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it just, it was so out of left field for me that... It just didn't have those Middle Eastern vibes mm -hmm. mixed in with like the uh, dance and funk and 70s disco vibes that this track presents, where you could just picture a girl wearing roller skates, spinning <laughs> on the roller rink, you know, to her heart's content while a disco ball spins in the background. That's what I picture when I listen to most Jake Coffin music. Either that or ballroom dancing or like a elegant yacht. There's also in this part of the game, in this level, there's a character that's like this snake girl. And she pops up out of, you know, all the characters are like on the cusp of sexy, but like for the female characters, they're on the cusp of sexy, but they're also like super cutesy too. So it's yeah. like a weird vibe uh, that has somehow managed to avoid being like rated teen. All the Shantae games have been rated like E7 and up or something like that. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. huh, okay. But anyways... Uh, she pops up out of this jar and she's like dancing and she's doing like this the I don't even know what that is it's like a like a prayer like put your hands together and like praying yeah, but yeah. she's like doing it in a circle while she's like grooving and she's going along with the music and it's like completely hypnotizing to like listen and watch that snake girl like vibe out to this song so often what I would do is I would just like I'd be talking to her and she'd be, you know, like, what do you want? Because she was like um, offering you something for sale or something like that mm -hmm. or something to trade or to give you a power up. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it would get to that part where she would be doing the dance in this particular level. And I'd be just like vibing out to it, watching her like it was like mesmerizing. I was like, <laughs> 
Somebody's gonna like shoot me with a, one of those darts and oh, I'm, like yeah. pass out because I'm like entranced by this <laughs> random snake girl. That's our Masters of EGM. Nice. What do you think? Good uh, stuff, right? Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. There mm. was a lot of great music. I, I feel like we shouldn't pick our favorite tracks because that would be a dishonor to. No, screw it. Let's let's pick our favorite tracks. <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard, though. It is. It really is. You know what I think we should do is you should pick. My, uh, from my favorite tracks because like I know I love right, my right. stuff and you know you love your stuff so you should pick from my stuff and I'll pick from your stuff this okay. time that's still hard because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like all the stuff that sure. you played uh, mm. I I will probably go with one uh, the Wandering Souls track Michiru Yumane okay. uh, because I've got a lot of nostalgia for that track and sure. that game I'm going to go with Act Razor just mm. hearing new Super Nintendo music is just such a joy yep, yep. to hear. So that's going to be my favorite from yours. Um, secondary, though, because I haven't really played it, I'm going to go with that Final Fantasy IX track. That was oh. just really beautiful. Yeah. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. What are your masters of VGM? Leave a comment in our Discord, in email, social media. Let us know what you thought of this episode. And please go check out Masters of VGM. Uh, again, that's mastersofvgm.com where you can get access to 20 plus podcasts that are doing the exact same thing that we are doing, sharing the love of the masters of video game music composing. Yes, check them out. Show those other podcasts some love. And yes. there appears to be some kind of a voting going on. I'm, I'm actually not clear if that's voting based on what is being played in the podcast or if there's actually a voting system. Oh, maybe. Either way, check it out because uh, that's what this whole big shebang is all about. Absolutely. So we'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon patrons, without whom this show's continued improvement would be impossible. They are Alex Messenger, Cam Worma, Chris Hart, Jordan and Anson Davis, Rage Cage, Kung Fu Carlito of the Heroes 3 podcast, Scott McElhone, Chris Myers, Bedroth, Brad Austin, Chris Murray, Lama Adam, Marcus Stewart, Scott Brackett, Nick Davis, and Ryan McPherson. If you would like to become a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash XVGM radio. There you can see the different tiers as well. Just $1 gets you a thank you and access to our monthly live shows. You can visit our website, xvgmradio.com, where you can listen to all the episodes and learn more about your hosts, as well as any of our guests or composers that we've had on the show. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always email us at xvgmradio at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. You can join our Facebook group and chat with other VGM lovers at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash XVGM radio, where we talk about everything from current game news to sharing awesome VGM tracks or just talking about the podcast itself. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both those sites is at XVGM radio. If you don't have any other social media or just want to try something unique, check us out on our Discord group chat. Links in the show notes. All right, Justin, in a month, we're coming back with a new episode, and it's going to be episode 92. Yes. What do we got? So in July, we are going to be teaming up with a new composer named Nicole Marie T. Yes. Yeah, she did the soundtrack for Ghoul Boy, and uh, she's done a couple other like random games that we wanted to talk about, and we're happy to bring her on the show. So uh, in one month, we'll be talking to Nicole Marie T. 
So this is Mike and Justin signing off for XVGM Radio. I wanted to just highlight the fact that when I went to go look up Koji Kondo's profile, uh, I typed in Super Myro Boars. <laughs> I don't know. I was typing so fast, and I typed faster than the speed of light could could take me to, to putting words that don't exist onto the onto the search bar. So mm. Super Myro Boars. <laughs> and, of course, like, I didn't get it. So. Oh, oh yeah. of course not. I want to, like, test the waters with that. Like, see how jacked up I can type in the words Mario Brothers and still have it and come up. And still have it come up. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to play with that a little bit. Uh, 